most wonderful show is Keeping Up With The Joneses. Welcome to episode 185 of Keeping Up With The Joneses, where this week we're talking about living a laid down life. But first, AJ Jones, how was our week? It was a good week, wasn't it? it it's always a good week. It kind of is always a good week. <laughs> but it's the truth. It's true. I had an interesting week in year two. I was teaching a topic called The Coming Judgment. Which, as you can imagine, had everybody excited. <laughs> you know what's funny? They were excited. They were. They were stoked. It's funny because it was lots of really, really heavy topics, some with really big names. So we were talking about the sovereignty of God and Calvinism, Armenianism, predestination, hell, universalism, annihilationism, you know, all that sort of fun stuff. We even got to talk about the Illuminati in there. <laughs> That's so exciting. <laughs> And the Catholic Church. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we, we covered a lot of ground. But it, I'll be honest with you, it was heavy. Like, I came home Monday, and I was I was wiped out. Just, yeah. When you're talking about the whole thing about the nature of sin and the eternal consequences of sin, uh, hell, I mean, they're just, like, such sober realities. Yeah. And I was wiped out and didn't go to Emanate, but you did, and I heard you did a killer job. I did. Um, you did do a killer job. No, I mean, I did go. I, I suppose I did a killer job. I had fun. Uh, I didn't even remember that I spoke on Monday. Isn't that funny? Until mm-hmm. you just said that. Busy that's, week. That's how it feels. Life feels so busy. But um, yeah, I spoke on help and asking for help. So it was fun. That's an important life skill. Yeah. Why do you suppose people don't ask for help? Uh, well, probably a couple of things. Shame, pride. Somebody taught them not to, that sort of thing. Mm, okay. We looked at all that and then we sort of talked about who do you ask for help and how do you ask for help and all that kind of stuff. And then the rest of the week was much the same as every other week. Lots of meetings, lots of appointments. Friday, I got to do something that was a lot of fun. I got to go and speak at a local business here in, in Franklin. Yeah. One of our alumni from the school was like, hey, I work at this company and I think it'd be great if you'd come in and teach on boundaries and powerful communication. So I spent the morning with a company here in town and taught them all about what it means to be powerful, what it looks like to have boundaries. I had a lot of fun, including the fact they had donuts for breakfast, which is always good. So I'm sorry, pardon? Yes. Sorry. (laughs) So you know how I had to bring up that card in pieces and confess to you that I'd ripped it to shreds? Oh, yes. Explain. Uh, So, um... Our friend Danny gave you this card saying thank you. Mm-hmm. And then he talked to me in the hall this morning and apparently the card was a joke. So it's supposed to, once you press the button, it's supposed to never stop playing the song. And then it just gets if louder you press and louder. it again, it gets louder and louder. So you had left the card in the um, in the car. Yep. And so we switched cars. And so I was like, oh, you know, he's left something in the car. And I picked up the card and I put, like, I squeezed it when I picked it up. And this song started playing. And then I'm driving along. And by the third time it goes through and it's really obnoxious, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's never going to end. So I open the card and try, you know, like try opening it, try shutting it, whatever, nothing. And so I ended up ripping it to shreds and then pulling the, re- the like the receptors out of the battery to make it stop. So that's why you came in. You were yeah. like, babe, I need to walk in the light. And I'm like, uh-huh. And you're like, I did this to your card. And you handed me this card that was in pieces. <laughs> yes. And I, I was just... like, that's a really violent response. Until Danny told me, no, it's supposed to drive yeah. you nuts. There's yeah. no way of turning it off until you destroy it. So I'm plotting his demise. I'll have to get back to him at mm-hmm. some point. But uh, yeah. And then Friday, we got to go celebrate a friend for birthday all, all last minute. Yeah. Including our favorite pizza place, DeSano's, which was just absolutely glorious. Whoop, whoop. And then Sunday church. Do you want to talk about this morning? 
Yeah, it was great. Um, I I was only at second service, and actually I was supposed to be in children's ministry, but then they ended up having enough people, so I got to come in at the end of worship. And basically, you know, Jeff is so good at being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's amazing. And he's not precious about he has to speak or it has to look a certain way. And he had a killer message because I heard it in first service. Right. It was a really good message. I'm going to have to go back I came forward for the altar call for it. Oh, good. So you got saved. Again. That's fantastic. (laughs) Um. So, uh, yeah, so he was just sort of following the Holy Spirit, and then he gave a prophetic word, and the whole place went silent, and, I mean, it was well, great. Yeah, you I should, mean, You should probably separate that. People didn't go silent because he gave a prophetic word. No, 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 word. that was, I mean, that was, <laughs> yes, that's right. That's, it was part of it, though. Like, I mean, he gave this word, and then there was just sort of like a real peace that fell oh, in the room. Peace. It was amazing. And then we went back into worship and yeah. it felt amazing. And it was really good. He said this, uh, and I tweeted it because I thought it was so good. He said, I'm not trying to make something happen, but I don't want to miss it if it does. And I was like, that absolutely sums up Jeff's approach to ministry. Yeah. But it was a really special morning. It I, was. I love when Jeff goes off the reservation. I love that we have a leader who does that. Yeah, it was uh, really good. Yeah, I just feel so content when that happens. Yeah, and it's really fun to partner with the Holy Spirit and just sort of follow what he's doing and, you know, see what happens. It's good. Yeah, so that was our week. I hope you had an amazing week too, dear listener. Another major event happened this week that we want to talk about in light of our topic for this week. Take it away, AJ. So our topic is a life laid down. And sort of where the topic comes from is uh, Billy Graham passed into eternity uh, this past week. And so he's home uh, with the one that he lived for. So that's very exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, But just sort of pondering Billy Graham and pondering the kind of life that he led or, you know, from everything that we know about him, uh, he seemed like he was just full of character. I never met him, but I did go to a Billy Graham crusade uh, in the Sky Dome and he packed the Sky Dome uh, in, in fact, there was 15,000 people that couldn't get in and they just blasted it outside. And when they did the altar call, thousands, I mean, more than 10,000 people gave their life to the Lord in the city of Toronto. It was it was amazing. Um, so I remember that from when I was like 20 something. Mm-hmm. Um, but his life was amazing and he just sort of lived it to the fullest. And of course, he's got kids now in full-time ministry and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you never heard about uh, character stuff with him or, you know, any kind of falling, if that makes sense. Right. Um, and then in addition, of course, he apparently was an advisor to most of the last presidents and all that kind of stuff. So Yeah, he was an advisor to a bunch of them. I was reading that this morning. I, f- I forget how many. I, th- I think maybe it was like 12 in a row or something. It's, I mean, it's what an incredible privilege. Um, and I was trying to find the stats. I had read something the day after he died uh, where someone had posted that he had preached to 216 million people in his lifetime is what they'd, you know, estimated. And I'm just like, wow. I mean, it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. So in pondering Dr. Graham, I was starting to think, what are some of the things that we can do to live a life that is laid down to God? Define laid down to God. I mean, that God's the one that actually gets to call the shots, you know, like that, that our lives are, are, not only about our families and about our dreams and about all, you know all those things which are all good things, but also about obedience to him and the things that he's called us to. Yeah, there's a temptation 
to give your life to Jesus fully at the point of salvation and then to slowly take bits of it back. <laughs> right. It's like, I'm tired now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let the 20-year-olds be missionaries, you know, right. or whatever. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, following the Lord looks like something. Yeah. So anyway, well, talk to me about what do you think living a laid down life looks like? What's it marked by? Well, here's here's what I sort of thought is, first of all, I think it's marked by character. I think, like when you think of, again, you think of Billy Graham, n- nobody can think of scandals that are associated with Billy Graham. Right. Um, and, and I think there's a reason for that. And I wonder if actually it would be great if there was a higher standard that we held ourselves to in terms of uh, what we think is okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, my thought was, I think character is one of the things that would uh, mark a life that is laid down because actually character takes work. You know, you don't just come by character. You have to feed character and you have to choose to be a person of character, even when it's easier not to be. Well, it's like Bill Hybel says, character is who you are when no one's looking. Right. It's all the decisions that you make for n- no other gain than building godly character. Right. I think it was, I'm trying to remember if it was Chip Judd, but I think, you know, one of our friends had said, whoever you are at home with your spouse, with your kids, that's who you are. So what you're saying is, I'm an unshaved lump that eats gummy bears in his boxer shorts and plays Zelda. That's well, who I am. That is actually why I orchestrated this podcast three years ago <laughs> for this moment of confrontation. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of planning. In yeah, advance. I mean, I'm pretty awesome like that. Um, my other thought was, you know, to live a life that is given over to God fully, you need to actually work on your stuff. So inner healing, I think, is a big part of that. It's, you know, getting rid of all the owies and and just, you know, working through your stuff instead of running from it or trying to shove it down. I think a lot of people don't think they need inner healing because they don't think anything bad's happened to them. Like, we can see why you need inner healing. Like, you grew up in a really <laughs> abusive background. and you, Thanks, babe. <laughs> you know, you had alcoholic parents and a lot of abandonment and suicide. Yeah, you need inner healing. Yeah. But, like, most normal people don't need inner healing. What's your thought on that? I don't know anybody that doesn't need inner healing. I've never met somebody who doesn't need it. Right. Um, Because the fact is we've all done life with other people and there's no perfect people. So all of us have got some things to work through. I think when we think we don't need inner healing, we've embraced major portions of denial. (laughs) Yeah. And for that very reason, it's probably worth looking under the hood to see what you're in such denial about. Right. What, what, What is it that your heart wants to hide? Right. Yeah. And I love the process. It's basically sanctification, really, isn't it? It's being made more like Jesus, and it's the Lord just putting his finger on... It's it's that verse in is it Psalm 139, Search me, O God, know my heart, see if there's any wicked way in me. Or is that Psalm 138? It's one of the Psalms. Search me, O God, know my heart, see if there's any wicked That's way in me. That's 139, yeah. Lead me in the way everlasting. And so it's allowing the Lord to search you, letting him put a finger on your heart, see if there's any offensive way in us. And... I think you get to a point in your Christian walk with the Lord where you stop sinning, as in, I'm not interested in doing wrong things. But we forget that a lot of our perfectly acceptable behavior is rooted in sin. Right. Like the most common response to control is rebellion. Mm-hmm. So if we feel controlled, we rebel, but we think we're justified in our rebellion because we were being controlled. But rebellion is rebellion is rebellion. Mm-hmm. So all of our coping mechanisms, all of our defense mechanisms are usually just, you know, a pig with lipstick on it. 
you know, we don't, we don't <laughs> want to call it sin. <laughs> right. But we're just like, oh, yeah, I'm just, you know, blah, blah. Anyway, yes, I fully agree. Inner healing, not letting sin be your master, not letting sin crouch at your door, removing any area where the enemy may have a foothold is is absolutely vital. Yeah, and maybe, maybe uh, in addition to sin, pain, not letting pain have a voice, not letting Oof. pain and fear get to make your decisions for you. I mean, all that kind of stuff, those are, are things that you need inner healing for to be able to make a better decision and respond instead of react. There we go. So... My other thought was being part of a community of believers that helps you grow would be a great way uh, to start heading towards laying down your life. Because, you know, if we're not in community, there is actually nobody there to help you see the things that you cannot possibly see. So we just think, you know, we're trucking along. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm great. I don't have any issues. And then you do community and you realize, oh, that person's rubbing me the wrong way or Oh, that person pointed out whatever. But the point of community is actually to bring health, right? So not only support for hard times, but but people that will know you well enough to say, hey, you're, you know what I mean? Like your 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 sin is showing or you're whatever, you know, it's so it's I think it's important to be in community. Yeah, for sure. We grow better in community. I think we only grow in community. It's very hard, you know, in scripture, Jesus said, Let him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to his churches. If you're not in church, you can't hear what the Spirit is saying. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fascinating. I think, too, uh, one of the things I've noticed sometimes is some people, uh, they will stay in community until somebody challenges them or until, uh, you know, something gets brought up in them that they don't want to deal with and then they switch to a new community and they make all new friends and everything's hunky-dory until those people also start to notice, you know, whatever it is, and then we keep moving. And and you never actually are going to experience freedom or growth or, or anything living like that. Stay in community. Let people say, hey, that thing there is going to rob life from you. Can I help you with that? Right. Um, because if you keep moving, you're going to find yourself in your 60s or 70s still getting dogged by the same demons following you around from community to community. It's just, it's not a great decision. I've also noticed when that happens, we rewrite history. Oh, yeah. So we rewrite a narrative that puts us as a hero, and the reason we moved all these churches is because of X, Y, and Z. It's never because of us. And sometimes I want to go, oh, what's the common denominator in all of those churches that you moved on from? Right. Oh, wait, I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's you. (laughs) So, I mean, that may sound kind of harsh, but I, I think as a pastor, I'd love to see people actually growing. And I sometimes you see people leaving because growth is seems harder, you know, or actually working through their stuff. But I promise you, it's going to appear at the next place too. So deal with it now, and then you get to be free of it instead of keeping it as a pet. Anything else? Yeah. Uh, I also thought, I'm sure that at some point in uh, Billy Graham's life, there was open doors that didn't look like stadiums with thousands of people in it. I'm sure. Right? At some point, he just started sharing the gospel with whoever was sitting in front of him. And so my thought was, I wonder if, you know, well, I don't, I don't think you have to be called with, as an evangelist to share the gospel. I don't think Correct. you have to, uh, you know, be called as a pastor to be in ministry. I mean, I mean, I think we've made that clear from previous podcasts. Yeah. But we all have opportunities as well to grow in our faith and to grow in our kingdom opportunities. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So 
I think I was just thinking part of living a life that's laid down to God is saying yes to the opportunities that come your way, even if they're a little bit scary. And we've told the story before, but I remember we were teaching on a school and we met a young man who said he was called to pastor a mega church. I was like, that's awesome. Like, what are you doing in the meantime? And he, he just looked at us blankly. And I said, you know, do you have a home group? And he's like, no. I was like, do you help in the youth ministry or with the kids? No. And his whole expectation was, oh, there's not smaller doors I have to open and walk through. Yeah, he's just waiting for those large wooden double doors to open. <laughs> I'm just going to be handed the keys to a mega church. Yeah. And I'm like, no, it's a principle of the kingdom that God is looking for, you know, good and faithful servants in which he can expand their responsibility. Right. Not that we just go from zero to to 60. I think, I think in a similar vein, sometimes you get to a stage in life where more doors open than you should necessarily walk through. True. So as well as considering the smaller doors that may not appeal to you, consider the larger doors that do appeal to you and is the Lord behind that. I think about some of the opportunities we've been offered that sound very appealing, but it's not the Lord. Right. Like before we moved to Nashville, there was opportunities that were presented to us. And since we've moved to Nashville, we've had opportunities presented to us. And if we're not from the Lord giving us a strong vision for our life of where we're going, we could have been derailed by by glitter or, you know, other opportunities. Right. So I think things that's important. That, things that might look better on paper or something at the moment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Beware, I guess, the emergency exit that gets you out of the pressure cooker God's put you in. Yeah, that's a good tip. Because all that will happen is you'll move to another pressure cooker. Yeah. I notice that what God's trying to do isn't geographically dependent. Like, you can't escape it. <laughs> it's very true. I think, too, if you're living in community like the previous point, mm-hmm. then when opportunities come up, whether they're big or small, you have a community of believers around you that is praying for you, that wants your best interest, right. that's helping you hear God on big decisions, all that kind of stuff. Um, because you're not living life in a bubble, but you're living it with a whole bunch of ears around you, if that makes sense, it may, it's a lot easier to not miss things. One of the many advantages of a healthy community. Indeed. I was also thinking, you know, uh, that that with, you know, with Billy Graham, with a lot of uh, people that you see in full-time ministry now that have been in ministry for 40 or 50 or 60 years. I mean, Billy Graham was in full-time ministry for 80 years. Isn't that amazing? He died at 99 and he was in full-time ministry for 80 years. He started when he was 19. Apparently he did. Good Lord. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's faithfulness. I'm sure uh, there were probably lots of options open to him to do different things, but he just stayed faithful to what God had asked him to do. And my thought is uh, just to stay faithful to whatever it is that God's asked you to do. And and God may have asked you to be a doctor or you know, a banker or a builder or whatever it is, but just stay faithful to what he's asked you to do until he asked you to do something different is my thought. Huge, huge thought. Yeah. Huge importance. I truly believe in the philosophy of blossoming where you're planted. Yeah. We're, I think there's a danger that we live live out of the season we're in because we long to be in another one. And I'm like, man, there's so much good stuff to mine in the season that you're in. If nothing other than cultivating a track record of faithfulness. Right. I Somebody asked me the other day, like, 
you know, you were a school teacher. What was life like for you in those days? Actually, it was one of our students. They were they were asking, "Hey, can you describe what it looked like before you were doing what you were called to do?" And I said, "Yeah, this is what it looked like." I I thought I didn't want to be a teacher. I was a teacher, and after about four years, I said, "Lord, if this is all you, not all, please, if you're a teacher, don't don't hear that this is like a minimal calling. It's a huge calling." Oh my gosh, massive! But I felt like, Lord, if if you have nothing other than me being a school teacher, then I will be the best school teacher that I can possibly be for the glory of, of God. That's that's what I'll give my life to. And no sooner had I come to that realization, that's what I want to do. I felt like the Lord offered me an opportunity to move to Toronto, and then that all changed my life. But there's something about proving yourself in terms of faithfulness. It's easy to be faithful in the things you want to do. Much yes. harder to be faithful in the things that you don't want to do or things you think are beneath you or, you know, or right. any of those much, other much negative harder. environments. Yeah. So I guess summing it up, my thought would be to live intentionally. I think if we live intentionally towards the kingdom of God, then we don't end up in our, you know, 60s or 70s wondering what we spent our lives on. But we can actually look back and go, yeah, I spent it well because I lived intentionally. And I think the Holy Spirit helps us with that if we'll listen to him. You know what I mean? Like if we'll go, okay, God, what does this season look like? And live intentionally in each season, then you're you're building that road of intentional living. I've given a couple of prophetic words recently, and they're all around the same theme, which makes me think, hmm, I wonder if, if, I wonder if this is the season that we're in. But they're all about the Lord shifting gears in people's lives. And so I just wanted to pray for everyone who's listening people who have been living faithfully, you know, the the other element we haven't talked about is what happens when the Lord wants to shift seasons for you. Right. So let me pray for you and then we'll answer listeners' question. Okay. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's listening right now. I thank you for the season that you've had us in, whether it's been good or bad, Lord, it's been a season that you've been with us and which always makes it a good season. And Lord, for the people who are listening whose lives are about to change because you're about to shift gears for them, Lord, I ask that it would be a season of acceleration, a season of excitement, and a season complete with confirmation that we would know without a shadow of a doubt that you're moving us into something new. And Lord, I ask for a smooth transition for that and for joy in the process. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I was thinking about when we were transitioning out of living in Toronto and itinerating around the world to moving to a little town called Franklin, Tennessee, mm-hmm. about the everything you just said. Like, we lived in community. We had so many people to share that word with. This is what we feel like the Lord's doing. Even when we didn't feel really sure about it, just receiving other people being like, oh, this this is totally the Lord. This makes so much sense. And, you know, the excitement of being in a new season that it brings. And so I'm just thinking about people who are in that situation as well. We're praying for you, and we're excited about what that will do for you. So what's the listener's question? Well, I got a great question for you. Okay. Uh Oh, wait, why is it for me? (laughs) Because you're great at this stuff. Okay. Okay. This is anonymous. Somebody's just written in and said, dear Alan AJ, I really enjoy your podcast. Thank you for doing this. Please. Could you describe some of how you have handled discipline for your preschool age kids? And then in their email to us, they described some of the cycles that their five-year-old child is going through and, you know, help us break those cycles. And so I, just kind of your usual stuff. Kids get kind of locked and then they escalate it rather than de-escalate it and all your usual stuff doesn't work. What's your top tips, AJ Jones? Wow, what are my top tips? 
So I guess I have a couple of thoughts um, in, in thinking about sort of parenting in general. Um, Alan and I have gone with a, a fairly structured approach to parenting because we're, we're, that's what our lives are like. We're, we're very, we're planner type people. And I know I've mentioned on previous podcasts that we did something called baby wise and that kind of stuff. And so the kids grew up understanding that mommy and daddy are mommy and daddy. And so there's, there's a, a certain level of them getting that if mommy and daddy have said no, then that, that really means no. Um, but all of the kids I would say responded differently to different types of discipline. Um, so with a couple of the kids, well, with most of them, uh, we would have the think about it stare in our house or this think about it stool or, you know, whatever. And, uh, none of them really liked to be separated from us. So if there was extreme behavior or bad behavior, we'd be like, I'd like you to go and sit on the stair. And, and then when you're ready to apologize, you're welcome to come back, you know, and we would try not to get mad or, or escalate it, but just be really calm and be like, wow, you don't get to behave like that here. If you would like to behave like that, you can behave like that in your room or on the stair. Right. We try to separate the behavior from the child. Right. We are punishing your behavior we're not punishing the child. Like that is bad behavior. You're not a bad person. Yes. And so it's funny, both Abby and Tia at different points when they were, you know, in the four, five, six uh, area, every once in a while, they do something. We didn't even catch it. And they go and sit on the stair by themselves and then come back, which is quite cute. I think your memory might be a little off because if you think about it, this was all before five, like MJ's five. We never used to think about a step. So you're talking about three or four-year-olds, yeah, not five-year-olds. Yeah, like, that's true. Yep, I think about a step at a five-year-old stage is probably it's a little bit too late for that sort of stuff. I mean, I don't know. I think I think with MJ, because of his personality, that would still work. Because again, he doesn't like to be, he wants to cuddle with you every second of the day. So mm-hmm. to have to sit on a stair by himself is like torture. I am a cuddle machine though, so it, that makes sense. It's true, it's true. And and uh, while I don't know if this would work for all kids, um, for our kids at, at varying ages, it's worked to just sort of say, hey, I don't want you to lose dessert. So can you choose a different emotion? You know? Right. Um, so dessert, you know, it, our, our preference seemed to be sort of removing things or saying, hey, you need to go to your room and get your attitude sorted out. And when you are ready to come out and be nice to the rest of the family, then you're welcome to come out. Right. I think also if you are, like your email suggested, you're in this unusual season where it's not normal. Some of the tactics that we would employ is heaping praise when they're doing it right. Yeah. And forming this great connection when they're doing the way you want it to do. And so rather than the only time you react is when they're doing something wrong, react when they're doing things right and and heap praise upon the behavior that you're seeing that you love and we would you know we we would do discipline with our kids the same way we do public speaking you know tell people what you're going to say say it then tell them what you said so with our kids we'd be like we're going to go out for lunch today this is the behavior i'm expecting from you when they were at lunch, I'm loving that you're giving me behavior. This is exactly what I was looking for when we're driving home. That was amazing what you did at lunch so that you're reinforcing the the expectations that you have. Sometimes there's a, just a temptation that we have by osmosis, an assumption of how we'd like our kids to behave and are just in distress when they don't, but actually kind of dialing it down a little bit and letting them know what is and isn't appropriate. 
um, is really, really helpful without all of the... I mean, I remember, especially with our first two, because I didn't understand this principle yet, especially if we were out in public, my shame would be so high that I would overreact to what was going on. And so then you don't have like a stable environment for the kid to know what they've done, what's right. You, you have like slightly more erratic. Right. Because I'd kind of fly off the handle because I'm embarrassed that they're behaving badly in public. Right. And okay, now you're going to come outside and have a talk with daddy. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, a couple of resources that I'd suggest to you. Danny Silk wrote a wonderful book called Loving Our Kids on Purpose. So good. And it's basically a reworking of the love and logic parenting approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you can look at love and logic as well, but Danny's book certainly um, is just a wonderful resource of explaining uh, explaining a, an approach to dealing with your kids. But like anything, you're going to read it probably and think that's never going to work. It's never going to work because it's probably so far removed. I'm not speaking to you specifically. I'm speaking to, to most parents. By the time you're looking for books on how to help your child, anything they're going to suggest seems like a radical departure from what you're doing. And you're thinking that's probably not going to work. And it probably isn't going to work as a one-off solution. But as a completely new, consistent approach to parenting, I'm, I'm sure it will. I think, too, kids really do have seasons, don't they? So, yeah. Um, I remember Tia having a season where she went from being, you know, fairly compliant. I mean, she's, she's got a lot of, um, sass, sass. uh, but you know, she would do pretty good. And then around the age of four or five, she threw down, didn't she, for about a year, you know, every once in a while, it wasn't on a regular basis, but about once a month, there'd be some sort of major throwdown where she would scream and whatever. And we'd be like, okay. You can scream in your room. And then when, you know, we did Danny's thing of like, we would love to be with you when you're done behaving like this. And I mean, she would give it. I'm, I don't remember any of this. Oh, yeah, I do because she would open the door and scream. And then I go and I close the door and then she'd open the door and she'd just stand there screaming. How do remember this? <laughs> it was horrible. But I mean, it was literally like, you know, Danny's thing was don't give into it. Don't escalate. Don't make it a bigger thing than it is. Just be like. This, you know, because I remember only Abby only doing that once and, and I failed in my approach to that because she... Did you escalate? I totally escalated. Where was I in the moment? Uh, you weren't there. Now, that's the only time it ever happened with her. But honestly, I think I was... I was more traumatized. You were a mess. I was I a mess that. afterwards. And so I was like, okay, I don't think I'm going to do that one again. Um, you know, the thing of just saying, hey, I love you. But you don't get to behave like that. So you need to go in your room if you're going to behave like that. And you can come out when you're, you know, ready. That worked a lot better. Uh, But it also took a little bit longer. Abby only threw down once. Tia threw down probably six times that year before she sort of stopped doing that season. So um, MJ hasn't thrown down. So uh, he's a cuddler, not a fighter. And so as long as he's got cuddles, he's pretty happy. (laughs) So I think enough of our rambling. I think the short solution is go read Danny's book because he's far smarter than us and has way more experience. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Speaking of show notes, if you'd like the show notes for this week's episode, head over to alanandaj.com slash 185. For now, we're praying you have an incredible week and we'll be back here same time, same place next week. Faith, life, communication, tacos and video games. Paleo donuts and the kindness of God The things we deal with every day From Franklin, Tennessee They are just like you and 